You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. It is good to be in Florida from Memphis. <laughs> um, this is one of the, um, the things that I look forward to the most, and that is meeting new congregations. Um, I don't know if you know this, but church planting is the single most effective means of evangelism in our culture. And that's why I feel called to do what I will be doing full-time uh, in just a few weeks. And I'm excited about Florida because there's so much opportunity. And, um, and I'm so excited as well because of how supportive uh, you guys have been. Um, and Dylan has communicated uh, that to me. I know Brady um, has been planting hard in his church on the beach in Volano Beach. And um, I'm gonna preach there in a, at the end of August. But I'm really excited about what God is going to do and praying for big things uh, for Florida. But this morning, I'm really honored to be able to bring God's word to you. And I'm, I was so excited when Dylan said, hey, we're doing a series through the Psalms uh, because I love the Psalms. Because it's, it, basically the Psalms are just unedited. Uh, th- this is where the, the psalmist, in, in this case David, just shows us his heart. He's not trying to hide anything. He's not trying to be something that he's not. He's saying, this is what it's like to be a follower of God. And so let's go to Psalm 62 and hear from God's word. David writes, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you that you are an enduring hope. When the mountains fall into the sea, you are the rock upon which we can stand that will be unmovable. Your promises, your word, Lord Jesus, your life, death, and your resurrection the surety of your second coming, the reality of the new heaven and the new earth, 
These are the things that we can bank on. But Father, I admit this morning that I am constantly investing my hopes, my dreams, my trust in anything but this. And so I pray this morning that you, as a skilled surgeon by your spirit through your word, would do the work that only you can do. Father, would you bring to light the things that we are trusting in that we have not even realized we're trusting? And would you redirect our hearts to the one that is life, to the one that is truth, the one who is the way? Lord Jesus, make yourself known, and may we make much of you this morning. Woo our hearts to you, we beg, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is where we find David in the psalm. His King David, son Absalom, wants to be king. And unwilling to wait for the typical way that a son becomes king, waiting for his dad to die, he is wanting to kill his dad to become king. And David, unwilling to kill his son, flees. And he flees to the desert. He, he flees to the mountains. He, he lives in the caves. And my wife and I in March had the, the, uh, the honor of going to Israel for the first time. And we uh, went to En Gedi and we saw the, the holes in the rocks and in, in the midst of the desert where David was thought to have been hiding out from his son Absalom. And, and I could really get the sense of, of how lonely <laughs> it was. Uh, when, when David is penning these words, there is deep silence. There's not a whole lot of distraction in the desert. Not a whole lot of sounds. There's a whole lot of nothing, and especially in the darkness of a cave. And this is where we find David. Being pursued by his own son for death. I had a good friend tell me once that I've never forgotten that there's no pain like family pain. And I know all of you look like you have it all together, you as parents, you as children, but I know the reality. Uh, because I'm married, <laughs> because I have my own children, because I've lived my own life. And I know the appearance on the outside is not a, an accurate um, portrayal of the inside so much of the time. And we see this in David's own family. Some of the worst pain that I've ever experienced has been from my own family members. My father was not a believer, and uh, he was a lawyer. My grandfather was a lawyer. My dad was a lawyer. My brother, my only other sibling, was a lawyer. So I was fearful of telling my father that I was going to go to seminary and enter the ministry because I knew he would not respect it. And sure enough, I worked up the nerve I made the phone call. I said, Dad, I feel called to the ministry, and I'm, I'm going to go to seminary. And he kind of chuckled, and he, and he said these words that stung and, and cut like a knife. He said, well, at least you'll have time to fish. <laughs> and it, it, what he meant by that was, you're taking the easy way out. You're taking the, like, the lowest profession to him that he could, the last thing that he would want a son of his to do. You're taking the lazy way out. And if you 
are familiar with the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram three and accomplishment and is like a lot, means a lot to me. I value accomplishing things. And every son wants to hear from his father, well done, son. Not the cutting words, you're an embarrassment to me. That's where we find David. How long, he cries out, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence, a fence that, that wind you know, has blown almost down, but it's yet to fall, but you know it's going to happen at any minute. That is David's soul. That's where David is. He feels attacked. He is vulnerable. And, and he is, is telling himself, and, and, and he is trying to uh, condition his heart to believe, verses 8 through 9. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge, because those of low estate are but a breath, and those of higher estate are a delusion. Well, right now, the people that he had trusted in are betraying him. So he is, he is showing us the battle in his own heart. He's trying to believe that, that men are just like dust, and yet he is, he's realizing that he has put his hope in men. In the balance as they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Oh God, help me to believe this, is what he's saying. Put no trust in extortion. Who do you think he's talking to? Absalom and those that are with him. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. And friends, this is King David. You, you remember what, what the Bible says about King David. He is a man after God's own heart. God promised that David's throne would endure forever, that it would last forever. And here is David hiding out in a dark cave, fearing for his life as his son seeks his very life. And what this is telling us this morning, I think, is, is something that we all need to hear, and it's this. As God's children, we can't trust in anyone or anything, even our own families, as an ultimate hope. Because the only one that we can, that can really um, um, carry the investment of our hearts and our souls and our lives is God himself. And I know every one of us in here are trusting something outside of God. We're looking at something outside of God to fulfill us. Because we're human and we're fallen. And so we need to hear this morning that we need to draw near to God. We need to wait for God in silence. We need to entrust our souls to Him and to Him only. So how do we do that? Number one, it's in the waiting that God reveals our real and true trust. Waiting is hard, isn't it? I hate waiting. Um, I am not a very patient man. My wife would say that's an understatement. I'm a very impatient man. I recently um, ordered some new running shoes, some Hoka's. And they were my first pair of Hoka's. Uh, I went from Asics to Hoka's, and I ordered them on Amazon, and it was the two-day delivery. I mean, it's Amazon. It's, you're going to be there in two days, right? Well, two days go by. I get home from work. I come through the garage in the back door. I get to the front door. I open, and nothing's there. I pull up my email, and it says, order or delivery delayed. And everything in me just went to rage. You've got to be kidding me. How, the injustice of it all, you know. 
you guaranteed me it would be two days and I've got to wait at least another 12 hours for these shoes. That's my heart. I have a new practice that I actually did this morning because <clears throat> I was up in the middle of the night in my Hampton Inn thinking about this, new tra or <clears throat> this transition that I'm going through and so, some fear came to me. And so I had to practice it again. This is what I try to do every morning. I try to say these four words to, to me. You are not God. You're not God. It's not on me to carry the weight of this world. It's not on me to carry the problems that I'm facing. It's on me to trust the God on whose shoulders carries the whole world and reigns supremely over all things. David is giving up his throne, or he's fearing that he has to give up his throne. His whole way of life, think about what he's losing here. It's, it's, it's Absalom, I mean, the betrayal of Absalom wanting to kill him, but it's also his palace. I mean, he went from the palace to the cave. He went from riches to having no idea where his next meal is going to come from. He went from thinking his son would one day reign and yet to the, the reality of his son trying to kill him. And David is at a low, low place. And whereas the psalm starts like this, for God alone my soul waits in silence, look at um, verse 5, for God alone, oh, my soul wait in silence. Can't you relate to that? I believe, but help my unbelief. My soul is waiting. Oh, it's not waiting anymore. Oh, soul, get to waiting again. That is beautiful because what that shows us is, is the inner struggle that, it, that is there for all of us. And, and what it reveals is waiting on God must be a discipline before it's a delight. Did you hear me? Waiting on God has to be a discipline before it's a delight. You don't immediately go into the presence of God every single time and experience his presence. You don't always feel in an existential way his love. I learned this. One of um, the most challenging things that's happened to me and my family is we had a house fire in 2009. And I was the first one on the scene. Someone, a neighbor called me and said, Richard, your house is on fire. And I pulled up and there, I had to run from about a quarter of a mile away because of the fire trucks, the ambulances, the neighbors. And I got up to my house and I'm standing there and, and out of nowhere, God gives me this gift. In the midst of losing everything, I realized I'd lost nothing. God gave me that gift of going, and I started crying, and I, I'm sure my neighbors thought I was crying over what I was losing, but I was crying because the reality that the gospel in that moment has never been more true, that God is enough. But friends, that experience is, is, is in and out. <laughs> it's not where I live all the time, and therefore I have to discipline my heart. We have to discipline our hearts to believe and to trust and to walk by the promises of God, knowing that one day, someday, they are going to be more real and true than anything we've ever believed. And that's what David is showing us. Because our sense of control is such 
just so, such a false reality, such a thin surface. If we haven't learned that by now through the pandemic, I don't know when we're going to learn it. I mean, think about it. One tiny micro, microscopic micro, is released in some town in China that none of us had ever heard of before, and it shut the entire world down. There is nobody in here whose plans were not thwarted. There's nobody in here whose life was not impacted by the pandemic. I was supposed to launch this network. I was supposed to leave my church three years ago. And yet the pandemic just obliterated that plan. Dylan and I were at dinner last night talking about that. He said, you called me. We were talking about this like four years ago. I'm like, yeah, and then the pandemic. And it totally destroyed and that's how life is. Control is what we, however, what we all are grasping. It's our fallen nature. It's what we did in the garden. We can't trust God. We've got to trust ourselves. We can't follow what, what he says is good and true and the plan for our lives. We've got to map out our own plan because we know best. And the way we can know that that's where we are, that that's where we're living is... Uh, um, a few things. Are you experiencing fear? Are you experiencing worry? Are you experiencing anxiety? Uh, statistics tell us that we are the most anxious culture ever. <laughs> and I have some theories on that, but I'm not going to go there. We are an anxious people. And the way that we can know that we're being that we have fear, anxiety, and um, that we're anxious is that we are not sleeping, we're overeating, we're overplaying, we're overworking, we're numbing ourselves, we're, we're spending hours at a time on Netflix or Hulu or simply scrolling mindlessly for hours. What are we doing? We're escaping reality. And we have more escapes to reality today than we've ever had in the history of mankind. And we're very good at numbing ourselves and escaping. And what this does is it leads to um, just numbness or outright depression. 30% of adults are like, have been diagnosed with depression. I'm one of them. And thank God for Wellbutrin that I take every morning uh, and thank God for science that, that can allow us to, to have that. But that doesn't get to the root of the issue. Because the root of the issue is, is looking to something else other than God as our satisfaction. And our bodies are, are this is one way the fall has, has uh, really distorted our bodies, is that um, literally our bodies can be driven medically to depression. And so even to be able to trust in God, um, we have to move toward medication and, and counseling and, and therapy. And then we get to the point in all of our numbing and overeating and overworking and overpleasure and overplaying and whatever over you're doing at the time then we get to the point, and this is where we get in the hopelessness, where we say, well, if I don't have any control, then why should I even live? And David has an answer. 
For God alone, O my soul, wait for God in silence. Do you want to know what to do with your heart? Wait for God in silence. He's the one that can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. He's the one that we are numbing ourselves to. He's the one that we really want at the depths of our soul. He is life. There is nothing good in this world that is not just a mere reflection of his goodness. There is nothing that is life-giving in this world that is just a tiny speck of the amount of life that he is. He is the one that can give us life. Turn from what you're looking to and look to him for life. And secondly, waiting for God alone demands that we rest in him in silence. Man, this is, <clears throat> this is a, uh, an appropriate message for us in our day. Let me, let me play this out a little bit. So if I were honest, I would tell you that probably one of my biggest phobias is the, even the thought of skydiving. I can't even imagine jumping out of an airplane. I mean, who would do that in their right mind? You know, I'm sure there are people in here that have done that. And, and I actually respect you because I could never do it. But I'm trying to be rational here. Let's just say that I, I actually worked up the nerve and did it. I would never do it without being tethered to somebody else who's done it about a thousand times. And so, so in other words, all that I would have to do, I wouldn't even have to jump. All I would have to do is stop resisting the jump. I mean, that's all I would have to do. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know if I could do it. I'd be grabbing for you, know, as they're pushing behind me saying, look, let go, what are you doing? I, no, I can't let go, I can't let go. Just no way. But all I would have to do is let go because there's somebody I'm tethered to that is not intimidated at all, but enjoys it. And they have the knowledge. I don't know when to pull the ripcord. I wouldn't know even where I'm supposed to go. I, I would probably drift off into the ocean or somewhere else, but they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly when to pull the ripcord. They know exactly how to, to head to the right spot. And they know exactly how to land. And all I have to do is trust them. Do you see it? That's all we have to do with God. Paul in, in Romans 6 says that we are united with Christ. Do you know what that means? That means if you are a Christian, that there is nothing that, that can separate us from the love of Christ. There is nothing that can separate us from the work of Christ. That's why I can stand up here and talk about my depression. That's why I can stand up here and talk about my broken family. Why? Because your hope and my hope is not in me, and nor my hope in you. Our hope is in Jesus. Why? Because he lived the life that we could never live. And what that means is God's standard is here, and Jesus met it perfectly. But he did it not to shame us for being these awful sinners. He did it for us. So that now through faith, I can say yes to Jesus, and the Father says, well, I credit to you all of the righteousness, the obedience, and the holiness of Jesus to your account. But Lord, that's not fair because I know that I don't, right, you didn't earn it. Exactly. You don't deserve it. Exactly. It's called grace, Richard. And then Jesus took all of my sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin 
so that in him, Richard Reeves can become the very righteousness of Christ. I could never atone. I could never pay for my sin. I could never work my way to heaven. I could never convince the Father that I'm, that I'm not as bad as, as I am. But Jesus has atoned for it. And Jesus has replaced my sinful condition with his righteous standing before the Father. And now the Father looks at me united in Christ. He cannot and will never, ever again see me outside of Christ. That is union with Christ. That means we can trust Christ. And yet, we live outside of that hope because of the circumstances that we face in this life. And friends, we must draw near to Christ. How do we do that? We draw near to God in silence. We, we draw near resting on the finished work of Christ because we are at times going to feel like a, a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Um, but as I heard somebody say recently, emotions are not a good advisor. How you feel about yourself as a Christian is typically not reality. That's why worship is so beautiful. That's why, you know, when we're singing those songs, we are driving the depth of the reality of the scriptures, God's love for us, God's faithfulness. Jesus it will never fail. He is our victory. That's why we worship, because we're, we're convincing our souls again that it's all true. And we need that desperately. And that's what David was doing. Everything in our culture presses against that. Um, everything in our culture is, is striving toward keeping us from waiting for God alone in silence. John Mark Comer wrote a book that I would highly recommend. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in it, he, he quotes a lot of people, but Carl Jung, he quotes, who said this, he said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. He quotes Corey Ten Boom who said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Um, Ronald Rollheiser uh, put it this way in his book, The Holy Longing. He says, it's not that we have anything against God, depth, spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in God. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. That word wait in Hebrew means patience. Interesting. Uh, you know, uh, patience basically, if you look throughout the New Testament, is rooted in humility. You say, what's the connection? You have to be humble. You have to say, 
the answer is not in me, the answer is in God. And it takes humility to admit that God is the answer. James 4, 13 through 16 kind of shows us this in an opposite way, and, and that is that pride is the root of impatience. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Indeed, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Impatience arises from an omniscience that says, if this happens, I know life is just going to be horrible. And yet in reality, what God says and what the Christian faith, the very center of the Christian faith says, nothing can happen outside of God's will. And nothing can happen that God's not going to use to work for good. And you say, I don't know how God could, could work this for good. All you have to do is wait for God in silence. We as Christians are the only ones that can truly rest. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Christianity is the only God, the God of Christianity is the only God that has told his people to, to rest. And when God spoke this, these words to rest and, and commanded Sabbath rest, he did it to a people that were on the heels of 400 years of slavery. 400 years of never having a day off, not one. And yet God comes to them and says, oh, I'm going to give you something better than a day off, and it's called Sabbath. Sabbath rest, where you let go, you trust that I've got it. I've got your work. I've got your family. I've got the world. And all you have to do is rest. That's the God that we have. And we can wait for God alone in silence because he's that kind of God. And so finally, waiting for God alone in silence demands that we believe God to be our salvation. I love this. David says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock. And then he says, my salvation. Not that God provides salvation, but that God is salvation. God is a rock. God is a fortress. This is the God that we have. That's why in Psalm 46, the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. Friends, that's all you have to do. Be still and know that He is God. Why? Because Jesus didn't promise us success he promised us salvation. He didn't promise that, that he would keep us from dying. He promised to be our resurrection. He didn't promise to, that you would always have food in your pantries. He promised to be your bread of life. He didn't, he didn't promise that we would never go through dark times. He promised to be the light of the world. He didn't promise that you would always know the way. He promised to be your good shepherd. He, he didn't promise that, that, that you would understand all the good things that he's doing for you. He just said, hey, my father in heaven is a good father and he knows how to give good gifts to his children. You see, Jesus promises to give us himself. He promises to, to be our salvation, not offer salvation through the things of the world, 
but to overcome the world through his life, death, and resurrection. And I don't know if you need this altering, kind of this correction this morning, but I certainly needed it. As I was preparing to preach this sermon, I needed to be reminded that Jesus is enough, that my only job is to wait on him in silence, and that when I do that, I find satisfaction and life like none other, like exactly like I was created to experience. Dear friends, may that be your hope this morning. As Christians, may we be renewed in that hope. If you don't believe the Christian reality and the Christian truth, would you, would you believe that? Would you open the door? If anything I said this morning or even the scriptures, especially the scriptures themselves, made some sense to you, would you open your heart to the reality that Jesus could be enough for you and give your heart to him? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your love. Lord God, we thank you that all we have to do is wait for you alone in silence. You are enough. I pray that you would calm the hurried thoughts in our head, slow us down from the busyness of life. Lord, give us the respite of knowing your love this morning, not just mentally, but in every way. Oh God, open our hearts to the reality of your love for us. Open our hearts to the reality that you are enough. Father, may you impress that on us this morning in such a way that we would leave this place rejoicing in the one who lived and died and rose again and is coming back for us. Thank you for the hope we have. We give you our hearts and we do so now in Jesus' name. Amen.